0: You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast. Budgeting changed my life and finances. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about the four simple rules for successful budgeting and why you even need a budget with Jesse Meekum. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant, as a money expert who walks her talk. She helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in,
1: in five, four, three, two, one.
0: Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm super excited to have you here as I always am. Now, if you're all caught up on the podcast, on the episodes, then you know it is July, 2020. If you're listening to this in real time, we are celebrating the three-year anniversary this month because I launched the podcast three years ago in July. And so I've been celebrating all month and it's been an exciting month. We just closed doors to the Money Launch Club. So if you are a new member, that's the online community I created to help journeyers like yourself, people who wanted more than just the podcast, more, who wanted more help, more resources, more tools and the community. So I created the Money Launch Club to do that and we closed doors last week and I'm so excited for all the new members that joined. We won't be opening up doors again until probably 2021. Um so I'm going to be focusing on the amazing members inside and if you want to join us if you want to get some in the know stuff in the meantime, go to moneylaunchclub.com and sign up for the waitlist. But There have also been some really cool behind the scenes things happening. Uh, Maybe I'll share that at the end of this episode or I might create a whole new episode about it. But I'm really excited about where Journey to Launch is going, where I'm going, how I am really making my visions come through with what I want this to be. So I'm excited about that. Now, if you're all caught up and you've been listening, you know that YNAB, You Need a Budget, has been sponsoring the podcast all month, which has been amazing because I literally use this budgeting tool, YNAB, When I first started, when I first started to budget and get on this journey years ago, right? Like right when I kind of started Journey to Launch, I used You Need to Budget, the app. I still use that today for my personal budget It's what I recommend to people when they ask me, hey, what budgeting app should should, should I try? I always recommend YNAB. So it's been amazing that I was able to partner with them, that they were able to come on and sponsor the podcast for this month. So with that, I'm really excited because I get to talk to the founder of YNAB, Jesse Meekum, He's coming on the podcast today. And let me tell you, this conversation, it was so enlightening for me because yes, we're going to be talking about budgeting and the four rules that YNAB is based on. But what I really loved about this conversation is talking to Jesse about how he grew YNAB from a spreadsheet that was a concept in 2003 and 2004 to what YNAB is today that has over a hundred employees and is changing lives. Like it is a we didn't get into the specific numbers of how much this company probably makes, but I'm sure it's millions. And I was so impressed and also inspired by his vision. And as someone who's in the personal finance space and has dreams and and a vision for what I want Journey to Launch to be, it was really inspiring. So I think from this episode, you'll get a lot. You'll get a lot about budgeting. So we talk about the mechanics of it, like the why you should try it out, why you need a budget, but then also the entrepreneurship journey that he went on. So I think you'll get a lot, a lot from this episode and I'm excited for you to hear it. Now, if you wanna give YNAB a try for free for 34 days, no credit card required, you can go to youneedabudget.com slash journey. One of the things that Jesse mentioned in the interview is that they actually do live classes, live classes every day that you can Sign up for they're free. So even before you do the trial, if you just want to check it out And I think it's between it's like under 30 minutes You can see exactly what this thing is like what makes it so powerful So I would definitely recommend going to unitabudget.com slash journey to give it a try By the way, if you want to watch this interview, you can go to my youtube channel This is one of the episodes that I actually recorded the video to this interview so you can go to my youtube channel search the episode show notes or go to YouTube, put in Journey to Launch. Okay, journeyers, I'm really excited because I have, so this whole month, we've been celebrating the three-year anniversary month of the podcast, and we had a special sponsor, YNAB, come in and basically help celebrate with us. And not only that, I actually am a true user of YNAB. I've been talking about YNAB since the beginning of starting Journey to Launch as my Budgeting app. So it's amazing now that I get to talk to the founder of YNAB, Jesse Meekum. So, hi, Jesse.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on, Jamila.
0: Yeah, so before we press record, I was telling Jesse that I want to kind of talk about all the things because I'm so intrigued by his journey into entrepreneurship, building such an amazing company, but then also budgeting. Like, I do want to talk about budgeting and because key. It's a key tool for anyone wishing to reach a financial goal or financial independence, which is what we talk about here. So I guess first, Jesse, can you talk about like how you came to come up with the concept of YNAB? How did you even start to get this thing going?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it started well before I ever had the, had the thought to make a business out of it, for sure. But my wife and I, we got married pretty young. I was, mm, let's see. I had just turned 22 a couple of months before when we got married, so we were we were young. My wife wrapped up school; I still had about three years of school left to get a master's degree in accounting. So she was making the money, and we were just we were just trying to like get through school. I was working part time; she was a social worker, so she wasn't making a lot of money, but uh, it was enough to support us. You know, we had not a lot of needs really, uh, just tuition and books essentially. But then we decided we should have a baby, which is great, except we both just were like, we really want it. When this baby comes, we just want her to be able to just focus on the baby, be able to leave the job completely. So we ended up just kind of staring at the situation where I thought, okay, at this point, when our first Porter, when Porter arrives, i well, will have two years of school left. I can work part time, but I was trying to figure out how do we make it through? I didn't want to borrow money uh, at all. I didn't want to borrow any money for school. And um, I'd had a little bit of a scholarship that was helping get us through But at the end of the day, I had one, an idea once where I was like, okay, Julie, we need about $350 per month. Julie is is my wife and we need to get $350 per month is like our shortfall. How do we make that up? I can't work more. And I thought, I said, well, maybe I could sell this little spreadsheet that she and I had been using to manage our money. Maybe I could just sell this. Maybe other people would want it. I've put probably a hundred hours into this spreadsheet and tweaked and I felt, of course, if you've built it, you always feel like it's the most amazing thing ever, you know? So, uh, and she said, uh, she said, I don't think anyone would buy it. Um, and that was that for like, like four days. And then I was riding the bus home and, uh, I was with a buddy. We lived in the same neighborhood and I floated the idea to him and he was selling something online. I can't remember what it was on the time. This is so early days. And he's like, Oh, I sell, I sell something online. I could show you how to do it. So that he told me I, I should. And so I went back to July. I said, I think I'm going to give it a shot. And we kind of gave it some rails, you know, like we're only going to spend this much time on it and we're only going to spend $63 to get it started. That was one of our, our things. <laughs> so I just started working on getting it out there and, uh, put it out there in September of 2004, a couple months after Porter was born. And, uh, it didn't really do a lot for uh, about eight months but it was just enough, like a few little sales here and there where I thought, oh, this is kind of fun and interesting. And then I rewrote our sales copy. And instead of talking all about the spreadsheet and how it calculated things, I started talking about the rules that the spreadsheet was built upon. And then sales started started to happen. And still we're talking small, you know, but for us, it was a big deal. And, and so it was, that's something that has stuck with me forever is people weren't just looking for a tool. They were looking for a way to think about something. And that's what the four rules really have done. And we've just, we've stuck with that. We just teach those rules. And I feel like we'll teach them forever and the tool gets better and better. It's much better than a spreadsheet now, but, um, you know, we got rid of that quite, quite quickly thereafter. But, uh, but the rules have really been the magic.
0: And I want to definitely get into the rules. But there's so many questions and comments that came up while you were talking. So you launched it in 2004, like this spreadsheet. Yeah. And it was just like a downloadable file someone should just go to and download. Do you remember the price point back then for it?
1: Well, here's a here's lesson for any entrepreneur. I launched it at 995 and nobody bought it for two weeks. And I was running out of my $63 because we were doing ads, like Google AdWords had just launched pretty recently and things were really cheap. Like you could get a click for 5 cents, but no one was buying. And I talked to that same friend who had told me I should sell it. I said, nobody's, nobody's buying it. He said, oh, it's too cheap. No one's gonna buy it if it's that cheap. And I was like, how, how does that, work? that That's backward, you know? But he said, no, no, they aren't gonna buy it. So I, I put a one in front of the nine. So we sold it for $19.95. And I changed the little button and I got my first sale that next day. So, so much of the time, we, if we're the creator of it, we love that thing, but we also devalue it right out of the gate. And so I, a word of caution to any, any creator of any kind, you tend to just not think what you're offering is really that special. And it is. And a lot of the time you have to significantly increase your price to even land at an appropriate market price. I was, I was low. Like I was so low, people weren't even thinking there was value there. And then, you know, you double the price and things happen.
0: Yeah. There's so many lessons here um, about scale too, right? Like if you don't have a lot of sales, you'll you'll be at a loss. You won't be making a profit at all selling something too cheap. But what sticks out to me, which I love about Wineab and what I've tried to do with my brand is because, you know, okay, there are probably a million budgeting sheets and a million blogs about budgeting and reaching financial freedom, and which is all great. But what I find is that there's like a story and soul behind your brand and mission. Like when you talk from that angle, like that's what connects people. Because, again, they can find this stuff for free or put it together elsewhere for cheap. But you just talked about sale, like a sales copy. Right. So like changing it to not just be about, hey, here's what you get, this budget and template you get. Here's what you're unlocking in your life. Here's like the strategies and methodologies behind it. And I think that's key for anyone, especially entrepreneurs, people trying to sell something. Now, the other thing is, you know, in the money space, do you think it's harder to sell things when you talk about money and saving money? I've, I've found that maybe it's a more internal <laughs> um, insecurity. But when I talk about, okay, you should save money, which I've made a conscious effort to stop saying, spend less, spend less, but more optimize, optimize, spend what, like what matters. Because then when I turn around and say, well, here's something that can help you, but it costs this much, or it's an investment. I find that sometimes people are just like, wait, I'm trying to save money. Do you have any thoughts around the, that kind of thing that happens for us?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting this is just like personal Jesse talking. It bothers me when someone's like, you should invest in this pair of jeans. I'm like, no, you use that word wrong. You know, we're not investing in jeans. So I feel like sometimes we'll take that too far where you're like, oh, invest in this new a car. You don't invest in a car. You straight up spend money on a car. That is, you know, the end. But in what you're pitching is to me that it, when you say invest, then you would expect ROI. And that that's the contender. And so you just have to paint that picture of return what is the return here the return doesn't have to be dollars if we could magically wave a wand and when you started wine app and not to be not to make it sound creepy but if someone was doing wine app and then we suddenly could see how many little spats did they have with their significant other and to see that number go down that's roi right or to see that they're literally sleeping better that's roi so we have to make sure that you get to the core of what you are doing for your customer. And there's, there's tremendous value there. Tremendous value. It it reminds me of the time Julie and I, we used to regularly kind of go toe to toe on, Hey Julie, we should spend less on groceries. She's a phenomenal cook. And so it, I was kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I'd be like, Oh man, I love what you cook, but also we should spend less. So that wasn't very cool. But one day she, she taught me this, killer lesson, like 10 years into our marriage. And I said, why we could spend less here. We could do some couponing." And she's like, listen, for me, a successful grocery trip is at the time we had four kids. She says, "I, I go in and out as fast as I can. And the kids don't melt down that that was her value. So here I am trying to pitch like saving 20 bucks here, 30 bucks here. That wasn't even on her radar. So you have to really understand that. The job that she was doing there was just a smooth experience. That's what she's paying for with that grocery budget with a little bit of room where she doesn't have to stare at two different cans and figure out the per unit value and all that. It was a completely different value proposition for her. So when you're pitching something, you gotta be crystal clear about the value that you're, that you're delivering. For, I mean, what we're really delivering is better financial decision-making so that you do the things you should, and also so that you do things you want. Those two things need to be happening. There's room for for, uh, lots of people in that market.
0: I totally agree. And sometimes that is hard to measure, but it's sometimes because it's so invaluable. Like it's so valuable that you can't measure it. And being someone in the space and... Earning money from it, um, it's I, it's up to us to figure out how to communicate that properly to our audience. You know, as you were talking, I don't mean to like um, challenge you, Jesse. but oh, what is, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> but when you, you know, I think some people do say, and again, I'm all about if you want to buy the car or the jeans, whatever, your choice. Like you say, you spend on what you want. But they would probably argue and say, but this also maybe made me happier. Maybe it's, if it's surface level, it's still happier. Like there is a ROI, maybe not money because you know, the cars depreciate, but I can see how someone can say, Hey, but like that is actually an investment because it actually makes me happier.
1: I like that because then you really, if you push the lens through that idea that push spending through that lens, I should say, then you would really say, what is the ROI for these genes? And maybe you can be more intentional and aware of what it is that you're actually looking for. So if you're just kind of uh, you know, some Instagram influencer says, "I love these jeans." Tap here, and you're like, "Tap, tap, tap." It's like, well, I would—I don't know about that. That's more impulse, less investment. But if you're if you're sitting there like, "What is my ROI?" and you're really thoughtful, that's a good point because then we're we're being real about what it is we're looking for. In that instance, you're not looking for jeans. Maybe you're looking for—and I'm way out of my league here. Maybe you're looking for like, uh, you know, it makes you feel good. It it makes you feel a little like. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here to say like everyone, when you feel good in your clothes, you feel good. Like there's a factor there. So I I could see that. Maybe I spoke too soon on investing in jeans. Now I'm trying to think of an example where you couldn't potentially just be really intentional about any purchase. And I don't know, maybe so. I like that you challenged me. That's good.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the amazing thing about when we talk about money and why the conversation needs to switch I mean, at a certain point, right, if someone is coming to me or coming to YNAB and trying to figure things out, and they want all the things, right, like they want the the nice car, the nice house, which is all fine, no judgment there. But then there's swimming in debt and other things like, yes, you know, like, there is a priority, perhaps in how you invest. So investing in YNAB, right, it's a cost. It's, you can try it for free for a certain time, but there's an investment to continue. Or investing in certain things like, that can help you get the tools or have the tools and the support to then be able one day to afford the car, afford the um, jeans, to get out of debt, like that's where you should start first. So there, there is an order of operations, Um, I think, in prioritizing what you should be doing, but I think it could be done eventually if you do it the right way.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I mean, part of our brand play uh, and part of probably just my personality that's kind of permeated through that over the years is I really don't care what people spend their money on. I just want to make sure that they're being uh, honest with themselves about it. So we did this thing for a while where we would call it debt stories on the podcast and I would interview people and they would tell their story of getting out of a crazy amount of debt, maybe a small amount of debt, but like all these varying stories, different income levels. And I would always ask them the question, what did you do to get out? Like, you know, you were in all this debt and then suddenly you're throwing 500 bucks a month at extra or whatever, or even more. And I never wanted to say like, did you do this? Did you do that? Cause I didn't want to seed an idea or in any way influence their answer. So I would just ask, where did you find the money to pay off debt? And I've probably only done 30 of these interviews. So maybe that's not statistically significant, but they would every time without exception, each person has said they eat out less. And it's the first time where I've thought, should we tell people to not eat out as much? Or maybe we can just keep doing the same thing, just telling them, get in front of your money, start weighing your priorities, and then it's a natural conclusion. I think what you're talking about, these order of operations, I think most people can intuitively start to see the correct order as soon as they're willing to tackle it, look at it, assess it. So. People are really their own best financial advisor if you can give them good information.
0: Right, I think awareness is the first step. It's like the first thing, like even being aware that things are not going as well and being able to admit it to yourself. So awareness and then admitting it because you could be aware of it and say, I'm just gonna ignore it, I'm not gonna do anything. But understanding that there's an opportunity cost for everything that you do. So you can, right? Like you can then, if it makes you feel good in that moment and you're consciously spending on it, and you could have then also put that money somewhere else, like paid off debt. Like As long as you know the opportunity cost, like, okay, if I do this thing, it's going to take me this much longer to accomplish this goal that I set. And you may very well decide at that moment, you know what, that matters to me most at this point, I'll take that risk or I'll do it fine. But it's when you don't know and you're just kind of doing it. And then you were like, wait, I can't, what's happening. You don't know what's happening.
1: That's the key in that instance where you have a fully aware individual and they're saying, I'm, "I could pay off debt a little faster, or I could take this weekend trip with my family." And they decide to do the weekend trip. In that moment, they have made the correct decision. And that sounds a little counter. And I, I, I hate debt. Like I don't have debt. I've any I've had any, I've, I've paid it off. I'm done. I just never, I never would want to touch it. But that's so personal to me. And in other instances, you have people that. They just think, well, it's got to be this exact order. And I just don't think that's the case. There's way too much going on for us to be able to just sit outside of that person's head and say, oh, well, they should have done this. They should have done that. If you have a fully aware individual and they're making that call, then I would say that's the right call. Now, you could probably start to come up with exceptions and things, but I think as an operating principle, we would say, if that is a fully aware individual, fully functioning, okay, they made the right call. They recognized, I can't keep up with this pace of debt pay down if we don't get a little bit of a breather. This pace is not sustainable. We need to slow down a little bit. All those things, to me are extremely valid and better for the long term uh, more often than not. And I've seen it happen too often where people have just decided, uh, I'm going to go all out. I'm going to go crazy, and they flame out. And then we've seen the flip side where you have people that have just kind of said, I know I've got 30 grand in student loans, and I know it's going to take me 10 years to pay it off but they feel good. They like their pace. They're making progress. How how are we supposed to mess that up?
0: Right. It's almost just like knowing I always relate it back to um, this uh, idea of being in traffic and you see all these red lights in front of you. And if you don't have a GPS system, you know, you don't know how long it's going to take you to get home. So you're more anxious because maybe you have things to do, but if you have a GPS system, that's at least telling you, even with the the traffic, it's going to take you two hours. Not that it makes it, you feel any better that it's going to take you two hours, but you know, it's going to take you two hours.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of peace in that.
0: Right. Which is why something like YNAB uh, and any tools that you want to invest in to get to your goals are important because that relief, that clarity, and that ha- helping you have direction is so important. You don't like You don't really realize how much value it is to having that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What we try and do with Wineab, and this is I guess this is our first rule, really, when we talk about giving every dollar a job. And you'd mentioned this earlier, you talked about kind of trade-offs or opportunity costs. You're like, well, if you do this, you can't do that. All we do with budgeting is present you with that regularly, where you say, I could go. I mean, I hate giving examples because it makes it sound like I care. I don't really care about any examples at all. But you know, I could go to sushi or I could fund a part of Christmas for my kids. Well, that's an, a weird decision to be making in, you know, in July or whatever. That's the kind of thing that we want to do. There was a speaker that I just listened to last week. He said, awareness is the first point of decision. If you have someone that's unaware, an alcoholic that doesn't know they're an alcoholic, they, they can't stop. They, there's they're unaware. But as soon as you're aware, you, that's your first point of decision. And we just try and always be surfacing that awareness. It's like, well, you can do that. Sure. But that will mean this, this and this. Do you still want to do that? Yes, I do. Okay, go for it. No, I don't. Okay, we'll we'll readjust. It's just awareness constantly bubbled up. And all rule one is, is just saying, if I give money here, I can't do it here. And I feel good about that, you know, or I need to change things around. So it, that it's, we just run that loop forever and people make good financial decisions.
0: Right. Well, I'm happy you brought up the first rule. I do want to go through them. So rule one is give every dollar a job, which you essentially said, which I really like because, and I always say like, get bossy with your money. Like you are in control. You tell it what to do because if not, it's kind of telling you what to do and you're working for it. Yeah. So anything you want to add about the first rule before we go on?
1: Well, one thing about the first rule is every other rule is just a function of that first rule. So all we're ever doing is giving dollars to jobs, uh, getting bossy, as you'd say, which I like. So that second rule, um, where we we talk about embracing your true expenses. When I say list your expenses, most people, you know, if I'm speaking or something, they'll, they'll start to list just their monthly deal, monthly this, monthly that, monthly that. And, and you're like, okay, okay. And then they're kind of asking also, why don't I ever get ahead? I make this much, my income or my expenses are this much. There's this gap that should give me some room to play, but they they don't ever think about the larger, less frequent expenses. Christmas that I've already mentioned, property taxes, vacations are an expense. They, they sound fun, like they shouldn't be, but they're totally an expense. Um, saving up for a new sofa or something, uh, replacing something in your house, your car tires blow out, all those things are real, true expenses. And so when I mentioned like, am I going to sushi or am I funding Christmas so I can get little Faye a birthday present, I'm not really always making that decision, but indirectly I am saying, you know, Julie and I are like, we want to spend this much on the holidays and we pay ourselves a monthly amount that goes into a YNAB category and that Christmas account builds. And it's just like you have a Christmas bill every, I mean, people probably still have a Christmas bill if they're paying off their prior year's cards, but Aside from that, we have a faux Christmas bill where we're just setting it aside. What that does, the beauty of thinking about larger, less frequent expenses is you can grab kind of a bit of that future. You can pull it back to the present. And then when you're, you know, a buddy calls and says, hey, do you want to go play golf? And you're like, okay, when I play golf with Bill, we also always go out to eat. He also likes to play a full 18. He always wants to do the cart. And you're thinking Bill's expensive. And so you have this opportunity of like, well, do I go play golf with Bill or do I fund my car repair? And the car repair hasn't even happened yet. That's the weird thing. That's where people are saying, well, do I still feel good about this? What we're doing is we're removing the checking account balance as an information source. The checking account balance is like the biggest liar in personal finance. People look to it and say, can I afford this? Can I afford that? Can I? It's like, well, that doesn't tell you. All it does is tell you how much is in your checking account, nothing else. And, but if you can look at that big, hopefully it's big, this big account balance. And you can say, well, I've got money for car repairs here. I've got money for this here. And Bill wants to go play golf. Yeah, I should do it. Or no, I shouldn't. But either way, you know, you've got that awareness. So rule two is just looking to the future and then using rule one to evaluate your priority.
0: Yeah. And I love that. And to give like an like a concrete example, because some people are listening to this and they are budgeting already. Some people are not or have an aversion to it. And so thinking about the bigger expenses and how you save up and plan for it, I just want to give an example. So if we are starting in January and Christmas 12 months away, you maybe spend 1200 for Christmas. You look at your past, how much you spent, or you decide being proactive, I'm going to spend 1200 Then what Jesse's talking about, what you can do with um, budgeting with YNAB is you can earmark every month that you're going to put away $100 for Christmas. So like a sinking fund is what typically it's called, but you can do that. So that way you can, by the time it gets here, right, you know, that December 1st, have $1,200 earmarked in your account. So also the thing that happens for people is they'll like, well, I have like two or three accounts between saving and checking and the money's just all swimming around there. But what I think, um, whether it's a spreadsheet or YNAB allows you to do is if you're tracking it right, when you go to that, you can see, well, it has $5,000 in my savings account, but my tracking system is telling me 1200 of that is for Christmas. So I know that already versus like, it just, like you said, it just shows you that much. So and you don't know where it's supposed to go. You're earmarking every dollar to have a job.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the the beauty of that is most people, when they have a savings account, they know they should save. It's like, it's like, well, oh, I should save. So they have a savings account. They put money in the savings account. And then the money comes out of the savings account. It's like this revolving door. And people are always wondering, like, why will my savings account go up? And it's just because you haven't been proactively assigning, like, this money is for that specific thing. It's just been kind of this grobe idea of savings because one should. And we want you to get more tactical and specific and say, that $5,000, $1,200 is for Christmas. $800 is for car repairs eventually two grand is for the house because something will break and you just allocate that all along the way um what happens is most wine abbers, they end up not really they'll have an emergency fund like in the traditional sense three to six months of expenses they'll maybe do that but most of them notice that because they're so thoughtful about future expenses that are large and less less frequent even the kind where you can't estimate like a medical bill i mean what if someone has a, a a covid bill like who, who in their right mind a year ago was like, oh, I'm going to save up for the pandemic expenses. I mean, no one's no one would do that. So there's an interesting thing here where we we just try and think as much as we can ahead. And then you start to pull back those expenses into your present and start to allocate money to them. You find that the emergency fund, as it's traditionally known, doesn't really get touched because if your car tire blows out, that is not an emergency because those car tires are not built to be infinitely indestructible. If they are, if they are car tires like that, I would, I would buy them definitely. But we like cars break down, roofs need repairs, refrigerators break, all of that. We 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 should never be surprised by the fact that something wore out. So emergencies can kind of be set aside, and it's this very intentional. Like I'm saving for this, I'm saving for that, and it, what's fun is when you're weighing should I buy this now or should I save for this thing later. It's so much easier to be saving for a specific thing than it is just to say, oh, I should save or I should go out and, you know, eat sushi with my friends. They, when one is so weak and rudderless and the other one sounds very fun and present and very appealing, it's hard to stay on track. But when you're, when you're given those dollars jobs, there's a lot more purpose there. I think that purpose gives us a lot of energy.
0: Yeah. And I like to say too, it's like you're planning for the expected, unexpected expenses.
1: I love it. Yeah.
0: You know, they're going to come up eventually. You know, you can run from it and be lucky that something did not break for a while, but it's going to happen eventually. So it's like expected unexpected. Okay, rule 3. What's rule 3?
1: Rule 3 is it's a weird that we have to make this a rule, but it's we call it rolling with the punches. It's a, you know, a boxing metaphor. You move your body in the direction of a punch so that you don't uh, you know, so you lessen the blow of that punch. It's really just change your budget as needed. You can liken it to a basketball coach, you have like, let's say you've got this woman who has this amazing game plan and they're going to go out and just, they've studied film of the other team and they've practiced all week long. And it's like, we're going to do this, this, you'll take her, you'll take her. And like, everything's going well and all dialed in. And every one of those team members is like, we know the plan. I know my assignment. I know my job. Thank you coach. And the coach is like, you got this. And then as soon as the game starts, if that coach wasn't making adjustments immediately, we would be screaming and so upset. And so you just have to recognize you do your best. You make the best game plan you can. And then you recognize that you will learn something new tomorrow. And you'll, you may need to adjust as you go. The budget, it's weird because one of the aversions, you use that word, like some people have an aversion to budgeting, which is so true. One of the aversions they have is like, I'm going to be restrained. I'm going to be in jail here. Essentially. Like it's like you're dieting. like now. I Okay. As soon as I start dieting, I won't eat. And it's just, that's not healthy for dieting. It's not healthy for budgeting. So instead of thinking about it being a restraint, just think about it being a game plan. Like what will we do? What about when this happens? What will we do? And you, you want to be more proactive. It's not about spending less. It's about, well, one, it's about spending guilt less because that, that would be wonderful to be able to buy the jeans and and not feel guilty three days later would be awesome. But it's also, it's about being proactive. Really, the whole thing is one big plan to spend. Even your savings for retirement, this is a bit of a tangent, but even retirement savings is still you acknowledging, I'm going to spend that money, or at least I might give it to my kids if you're kind. I haven't decided yet if my kids will get any money, but, but it's all spending. It's just spend now, spend later. But like let's let's let go of the idea that if you've set up a plan, that you also can't change it. When did you lose control of that? So Mm -hmm. I rant on rule three because it it frustrates me that people are like, oh, budgets are so restrictive. I'm like, you did it. Like that was yours, you know? Mm -hmm. So rant over, rant over.
0: The thing about it is like, I don't want to say go wrong. I'm not a pessimist. I'm actually an optimist. I'm not going to say like, you know, no matter what you do, something will go wrong. But I'm a realist. And once people understand that, like they don't expect to come in and get everything right. Not even, don't even come in and expect to get the process for budgeting right away. Correct. I think some people go on with that too. And it's just like, it's a little complicated or hard for them. And then they give up because maybe they think it's not supposed to be so complicated. And it's really more just like, no, with this, like, you know, the growth mindset of, and being adaptive, it's like, things will go wrong or things will happen. It's not that if they, if it will or won't, it's more about how I respond to it. And so it's not that you expect bad things to happen. It's just that you're prepared that when things happen, you can adjust and it's not over. And so I think that's where people should also adjust or think about their money and spending plans and budgets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes good things happen. You know, you have someone that says, Hey, I'm going to be in town. You know, you haven't seen him in 10 years. They're like, let's go out. And you're like, shoot, I've got $5 to go out. That's not very cool of me. And so you you move money around. You say, well, I'm, I'm going to take money from this uh, eventual car tire blowout category and I'll, I'll catch up later because this is worth it. I mean, would anyone say, oh yeah, I saw my long lost uncle for the first time ever. What a horrible experience because I had to spend a little more on groceries when he came to visit. And I don't think we'd worry about it. So a lot of the stuff's just, I like your idea of kind of saying like, it's not bad. It just, it just is. Are you, are you alive? Okay. Then things will happen, you know? And there are degrees of severity. Most definitely, especially you know, as we talk about this now, like so many, so many lousy things are happening. What are we supposed to do? There are we supposed to adapt or just curl up? You know. And I think, uh, I mean, if people are listening to your podcast, I think they're of the mindset that you adapt. Budgeting is changing. If you are not changing your budget, you're doing it wrong.
0: Okay, I love that you just like went back and just buttoned that up. Say that one more time.
1: If you aren't changing your budget then you are doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Also, you'd mentioned like, it's hard to get started or, you know, you maybe make mistakes in our software. We actually built a feature years ago called the fresh start acknowledging that you'll be like, uh, this has been three weeks. I don't like this anymore. It's like, okay, go fresh start. Everything stays the same clean slate. Go again. It happens so often. We like one of our teachers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of our teachers, Dave, he fresh starts every year. Nobody knows budgeting better than this guy. He teaches it every day, all day long. And he still is like, oh, I'm gonna change it a little bit, mix it up some. So you don't, you aren't admitting failure. You're actually succeeding in that instance, you know, starting fresh again. Okay. The final rule we call it age your money. And it's the idea that we want you to spend that dollar today that was earned 30 days ago. Said another way, if you earn money today, we wouldn't want you spending that money until at least 30 days from now. We're trying to walk people back from living right on that edge of the paycheck to paycheck cycle. Most of the time to follow this rule, you just have to do the other three really well or pretty well. And rule four kind of is reached almost independently. You just follow those first three rules. You'll notice that you have more and more money in your bank account and that it's taking you longer and longer, more and more days to spend a dollar that you'd earned. And uh, it's not that you're saying, oh, I'm going to go on this spending fast for a week or, I'm not going to spend any money. I mean, those are all interesting for other reasons, but it really just breaking away from wait. You know, you've got this pile of bills waiting for money and we want, we just flip it around. We want a pile of money just waiting for a bill and then take it up a a level and just auto pay the bills. And uh, the budget will catch any mysteries that come through that way. So in that sense, you're just sleeping better when you're step, you know, you step back from that edge in light of all the unemployment and, and layoffs and, and shakiness of like structurally of this, of our current economic situation, people that are living a good distance from that paycheck to paycheck cycle, they had had and have a little more time to be like, oh man, this is new. What are we gonna do here? If you're living right, and, I, and when I say you, I mean like 80% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. I'm not talking about some unfortunate minority, And that same thing also is readily apparent across income levels. So you have someone that's living below the poverty line. They actually know well more how to manage their money than someone that can't hold two pennies together and they're making 200 grand. And there are those examples all over the place. So I would be remiss to say, oh, I'll teach that person that is getting by on 14 grand a year. No, they know how to get by on 14 grand a year. It's these other people that are just like, I got to calm down, like flippantly, just you're like, come get it together. And they're still living with the same stress, the same marital strife, the same mental overhead that's totally unnecessary. So we just walk people back from that paycheck to paycheck cycle, get rid of that stress. You'll always have stress. Like you mentioned, like things go wrong. Life is stressful. If you have kids, welcome to stress, you know, but you should not be carrying this unnecessary stress just because you're living right on the paycheck to paycheck edge.
0: I think you bring up a good point about our, the current situation with so many people who are uh, maybe unemployed or their, their income has changed a bit. It's important now than ever to start if you have not already start budgeting. You know, it's not necessarily waiting until you have all the money and have all the clarity it's, it's now, you know, I know, and I always like to speak to, I know there are different um, people that listen and some people, their jobs have not changed. Their income has not changed. They're fine. But for some people, like this is a whole new world. Maybe a spouse has been laid off. Maybe it's just them. It's a lot, right? Like the working parents that don't have the luxury of go like being able to stay home and then now have to be with their kids who need like, obviously attention and care and teaching. That's a lot. And so, you know, I, I know that there's a lot going on um, in the world. It's not to say like if you have not been thinking of this as a priority that it, something's wrong with you. It's more about I would love for this episode and anything that I do here to help encourage people that despite the current situation, um even even making one small step, even the awareness of it and saying, well now I know about this thing. Now I know about YNAB. You know now now I know about this. Let me let me let me maybe go check it out. Something I wouldn't have done before. Um and try it. And even though maybe I'm not rolling in the dough because of things that are happening right now, one day I will be because I have that uh, outlook. And so how can I prepare myself? How can I at least survive the current situation so that I can thrive?
1: Yeah. And there are a few common objections to the idea of budgeting. And one of them is someone just says, well, I just don't make enough for it to be worth it. I mean, I hear that regularly. And Think about who has, who has the most money. So like traditionally I would think, oh, Bill Gates, like when I was a kid, Bill Gates was the guy that like Microsoft was growing and it would, I remember someone saying like, oh, if Bill Gates stopped making money in order to stoop down and pick up a hundred dollars, he would lose money. Like there was some weird, like as a fifth grader or eighth grader, I don't remember where, I was like, oh my gosh, how is that possible? Like, so you think about someone that has, let's call it infinite money or darn close. If you were running the Gates Foundation, and you weren't running with some kind of a budget, and I mean like, we will spend money to combat malaria, we will spend money to bring clean water, I don't know all of their their mission, but if they weren't purposeful and intentional with all of that money, what a waste. So you might say, well, they have so much money, why would they need to worry about exactly where things are going? But if you really wanna maximize the Gates Foundation impact as my example, you would make sure you're very intentional about this goes here. And you can have lots of zeros tacked on the end, but this goes here, this goes here. This is our mission. If it were just scatterbrained and reactive where everyone that sent in a letter needing some money for some very worthy cause. And they were just like, Oh, write a check. We'll write a check. We'll write a check. Think about the loss of impact that they could have if without focused efforts. Now you bring that all the way down to someone that's, maybe their you know, spouse was just laid off or they've been furloughed or work hours are cut. You still are using the budget to proactively, I don't even want to say budget. You are basically saying I need to be proactive and maximize in my situation. I need to make the most of this. That's what a budget allows you to do is just make the most of whatever situation you're in. And uh, whether you're running the largest foundation in the world or you're just running your own meager household, the same principle applies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about how you grew YNAB to when you talked about you just put the one in front, and it was 1995 or 1999, and then to now where it is today. So that was 2004 you first started. And now, how many like employees, how big can you share that the company is and what you've been able to do?
1: I think we're at 122 employees or around there. I used to make a joke like, I would say, oh, we're at 40 employees, but I really wish we were five or, you know, it's about four, about 35 more than I would be comfortable with. There's some discomfort for me and just thinking, wow, this is a lot of people, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, food being purchased, put on tables in front of families that are using, are, you know, are depending on this business and it's profitability to support them, but you do get used to it. You, you acclimate and, it's like when you have one kid, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the craziest thing ever. This is insane. And then you have two and, and it's definitely, I mean, anyone that says like there's scaling and having kids, I can speak to that because there is not, there's no scaling, but you do acclimate. It's still hard, but you get used to it. And that's what happened with the business. I've been toying around with this idea of grow, you grow best at the rate that your profits allow. And so we we've never taken an investor. That's not true. I did. I did put money on a credit card back at the end of 2009 for a month, never to do that again. That was scary. Beyond that little foray, um, we've never borrowed any money. And so we've always just had to reinvest profits in order to grow this thing. And it's, it's strange, but I feel like my mental ability, I don't know, whatever it may be inherent natural ability or what I can learn, by finding good sources of knowledge, all of that, it's nicely paced to be about the rate at which our profits can be reinvested anyway. So if you were to say, hey, Jesse, I've got a $200 million for you to use to grow this thing, I wouldn't know where to start. But if you'd asked me 14 years ago, hey, Jesse, um, you'll need to spend, yeah, I don't know what on marketing, that would have also mortified me. So the numbers I'm comfortable with now would have scared me 10 years ago. And maybe the numbers 10 years from now will not be as scary as they would be to me now. And I think it's all because profits and growing at that rate allows you to just kind of slowly get used to things. I'll bet you've experienced that even in your own endeavor. What would have scared you three years ago is not nearly as scary.
0: Yeah, and uh, the concept too of being so financially aware. So when I started this business, like I actually didn't think this would be a business. It was more just to share my journey. And then I was like, oh, well, I can do this as a business and kind of replace or do it instead of my corporate job. So starting, I was so super focused on saving and investing because we had the income to do that. Switching to this entrepreneurship mode. My husband is a teacher. So it's a big change in how we handle money. Our, um, it changed our trajectory to financial independence. We're still working towards it, but it's totally different now as an entrepreneur, because now money um, that I'm bringing into the business, it's how do I reinvest it back in to buy back my time? Because as a you know, busy mom, um, that's important. But then also, how do I consciously... I don't want to sell myself short, too. Like I want to eventually get paid um, well for what I'm doing. At what points do you pay yourself? So, you know, you could, I can reach, and my family can reach our own personal financial goals or invest it back into the business because that dollar, I could have took the dollar or I sent it to the business to take the dollar, but that dollar in the business can grow way faster possibly. So I think that um, decision comes in for a lot of people with what to do, like take the money or reinvest.
1: I had, a, I have, I mean, my personal experience was 2004. We start 2006. We had launched our standalone version. So back in 2005 it was housing right like everyone was buying houses you got to you had to buy a house it's like oh my gosh we'll never be able to buy a house again if we don't buy a house now and Julie and I were going to graduate and I was at an internship and we were down in Phoenix Arizona and we were thinking maybe we buy a house and just let it sit for a year that was the frenzied feeling of the home situation back then thank goodness we didn't we we bought high later but whatever so at least we live there but the the instance where We, I told Julie, I said we're going to be setting aside money for a house down payment because everybody's doing houses. Then I meet Taylor, who's my business partner and CTO, and this was early 2006. And he said, "Hey, I can build this spreadsheet to make it even better." And I said, "No, let's just build separate software for it. Forget the spreadsheet." And he said, "I can do that." So I go to Julie and I say, "Hey, Julie, you know that house down payment that we've been funneling YNAB money profits purely just into that down payment category, getting ready to buy the house." I'll become a CPA We're we're good to go. And I said that we're not going to use it for the house down payment. Maybe. What do you think about this idea? And she, uh, she said, well, do you feel good about this guy? Taylor, I'd only ever talked to him on the phone. You know, they didn't have video calling back then or anything. He was down in Texas. And, uh, I said, I feel good about it. So Taylor agreed to the project and we, we kind of rated our, our house fund for that. Then in 2000, end of 2006, that software launches, and within days, I had gotten payback on the, the entire amount. It's like 20 something, 30, 22 grand, something like that. And so I thought, oh, this is, you know, there's the payback. That's the allure of the business always being able to be far more productive. 20 grand into a house in 2005, I would have been awful, right? But 20 grand in my business was really, really good. But I just kept feeding the business. So 2009, we actually fed the business more than it had made. I I took from our emergency fund. We were pushing to the very end of the year. We needed to get our third version out. That was where I borrowed about 20 grand on a credit card. Then we launched at the end of 2009. I paid back the credit card. And again, it was a good move. It was like, man, all that stress, it was worth it. The business was able to take a dollar and make three or whatever it was. I finally took a salary in YNAB. Uh, I think it was 2010. So we're six years in where it was like, oh, I can, I can steadily pay us from this because the business and you'd, you'd said it possibly can. And that's good to note. The business could possibly be far more productive with that dollar than you could. I mean, do you really want to go to Disneyland for $1,600 if that could become 3,000 pretty easily? And you keep doing that math and it becomes pretty um, pretty attractive. So we did the same thing again. 2012, we launched another version, and then 2016, we launched the version we're at now. Uh, released the the V1 of that, and the whole time, I you know, Julie's like, "How's the business doing?" She's so busy with running every other part of our life that you know, when I talk to her about the business, it's pretty high level. I need her feedback on stuff. She'll get to the essence of things very quickly. She's a good, she's such a good advisor, but. She said one thing one time that really struck me. I said the business is doing great and she goes, "Well, that'd be news to me." And I'm like, "What do you what do you mean by that?" She's like, "It doesn't affect us at all. If whether the business does a lot or a little, we live on this amount." And in in 2015, I cut our salary in half so that we could start saving money for this business transition. So all she had ever seen from the business was, "Okay, let me get this straight. Business is doing great, but we rated the down, the down payment for the house. Okay, business is doing great, but we cut our salary in half." Like when, when's this going to pay off? You know? great. <laughs> and finally, I, I am, um, I read Mike Michalowicz's book, profit first, and he makes a good case for pay yourself a little bit off the top. So we started doing that a few years ago and that has been great. I had Mike on the podcast a while ago and he's a great guy to have on. And we chat, I think we're in, in I was out in Manhattan for a bit and me, we met up there and chatted and, it's very wineab esque what he's what he talks about, but it's just like pay yourself a little. So when you do really well, enjoy it. And that was a long that that was kind of our whole thing like six years until a salary, continually just reinvesting all the chips back on the table. And I don't know if I would do it the same way again. Totally, I think it's been nice these last few years to recognize: oh, if sales go up, I'll be able to take a little off the table. But everyone's got to kind of fill that out on their own. I'm not a big I'm not a gunslinger. I'm not like a swashbuckling entrepreneur type. Like I'm, I'm the farmer, you know, it's like, you just kind of work slowly, work the field, plant another row, that kind of thing.
0: And I think I love that you said that it's like, depends on your personality. I This is like my second full like time um, year of entrepreneurship. And I, I did pay myself the first time from my like owners, because I also use the Profit First system. So I, I have the money. Yeah.
1: Like distributions. Yeah. yeah. So
0: I first time uh, July is when I paid myself since what, a year and a half of, or actually almost two years jumping into this. And even still, I'm still cautious about it because my biggest thing is when I took on this responsibility because my income was more than half of our household income. So when I took on the, the risk of I'm going to like leave my job, and my job had the most potential, right, for the highest, to earn the highest in our household. So when I did that, my biggest thing was, you know, I don't want our, our lifestyle to change too much. And I don't want Journey to Launch to ever take away from our savings. I mean, we saved up for me to do this. So I just don't want it to be a drag where now it's like the cost of running it and being here is like taking away from like the money we already kind of don't have. So, right. I think it's interesting cuz it depends on your personality. I'm definitely a cautious person. For anyone listening uh, as an entrepreneur or thinking about it cuz that's the other thing. We talk about financial independence here on Journey to Launch, and part of that includes potentially being an entrepreneur. Not for everyone. I always say that. Listen, if you have a job you love, <laughs> continue to co- co- continue to collect those checks <laughs> and, you know, that health care But if you have a desire, um, there's something burning inside of you, you want to build and create something, change the world, or maybe just change your circle, whatever that means for you, it's important to also not only think about your personal budget, but I found that transitioning into managing a business budget, like profit first system, that was like a whole new realm, even though it's similar. So I want people to also pay attention to that. It's like There's a personal budget, but there's also a way you run your business budget that's important.
1: Yeah. Yeah, running your business on Wineab, I, I started doing that in two thousand nine where I was very intentional about the business money. The business checking account was far bigger than my personal account, obviously. And I was so risk averse that it was like, we should hire an engineer. We really should hire an engineer. And I would just look at the pile of money and be like, I don't know if I feel good about it, you know? And when I finally started giving every dollar a job with the business money, it started to look like Jesse, you fool. You you would be insane not to hire someone. And and that helped. Get me out of my risk aversion and recognize that it was almost flipped around. I was almost—I mean, I was being almost stupid with how tight-fisted I was with those dollars. Instead of saying we could get more done and this is good ROI, Um, so that yeah, there's very little different about running a business budget. But for some reason, people they think like, oh, I can run my personal household, but I can't run my business. Well, just run the business like your personal household. Be be stingy a little bit, but also there's a, a level of strategicness that you can a- adapt with your business budget, where personally you're like, well, we'll spend this much on groceries, end of story. Business, it's like, we'll spend this much on marketing, what will that bring? And so there, that's the business aspect. But having a business with finite resources, that's a real thing. Household finite resources, that's a real thing. I also would say like, I feel like entrepreneurial stuff or entrepreneurism gets a little bit romanticized. Like it's not, you know, it's not that you just, you're doing a job. It's, it's so much grind. It's so much just grind, 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 you know, and that's, it's work. It's just work. So it's another form of work. If you got a little bit of ADD, I think it suits people well in that way, because there's lots of different hats to wear. I lose interest in things pretty quickly. So the, the entrepreneurial stuff has suited me. But you can find that in lots of different jobs too. I, I don't want people to walk away like, oh, I can't believe I don't, I've never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Should I want to? It's like, no, no, no. Don't worry about it.
0: No, no. I think that's great. And I, I love this quote where it's like, entrepreneurship is the only place where you'll give up maybe the 40, 50 hour work week for the 100 hour <laughs> work week because it's like nonstop.
1: <laughs> yeah. And even if like my work hours are pretty reasonable now, um, they have not always been that way, but my, you know, mentally though, you're never, you never check out. It's just, it's always there. It's just kind of a low hum. So yeah, if you love what you do, keep doing it and leave it at that, you know, just be content, just practice. That's what I want to learn. I want to learn how to just be content. Just be like, I'm content. I just, I'll just, you know, I'm happy, happy the way things are.
0: Right. Because there's always something else on the other side that seems more appealing, but you can get there and say, oh, wait, there's the other side to that too. Okay. So Jesse, I would probably just wrap up and say like for anyone right now listening, who's like, okay, they may already be a YNAB user because I've been yapping about it all month and previously, but if they're not, and they're just like, what, You know, why should I give this a try? What's your last kind of thing for people to be like, okay, I'll, I'll do this. Like, what What's your last charge to people about trying YNAB?
1: Yeah, so everyone's used to like video conferencing now and all this weird stuff with Zoom and everything. So, we've been we we were doing remote well before it was mandated. So, the best thing someone could do is they could say, "I'm going to give Jesse 25 minutes of my time." Well, actually, you'll give one of our teachers 25 minutes of your time and take one of the workshops. It's free, and you'll just see you'll see the four rules how we think about money and then you'll see it applied in the software. And there isn't three seconds in those workshops that isn't just time well spent. They're, they're dialed in. We, we do them probably do 150 a week. So they're live. You can ask questions of the teacher. But that to me is even before you do like the 34 day free trial or whatever, take the workshop first and kind of see how we're coming at this, because if you do decide to give the trial a shot it will make your experience far more it'll things will make more sense otherwise. So I'd say go with the free workshop. And then one little asterisk to this pitch, if you're hitting your financial goals and like you just listen to your podcast because you like to get a good little pat on the back, then you just go. Like don't don't change things for the sake of change. That would be that'd be a, a step backward.
0: I actually love that you said that. Like if it's working and you truly know it's working fine, but if you know something's off, so something's missing, then give it a try. So check it out, Jesse, thank you so much. I will say, um, so if you want to do the 34 uh, free day trial, you can go to budget.com slash journey. And this was amazing. Thanks for basically educating us on budgeting, but then also business. i um, running a business. I thought that was amazing. Hopefully you guys got a lot from that. Thanks, Jamila. Okay, I really hope you enjoy that conversation. You know, it's one of the first times I believe I've had a sponsor slash company on the podcast, like a person representing a company. And I really wanted to make sure that this wasn't just like a big pitch, you know, like a big all about this company, right? Like I really wanted to make it an interview where you could learn something from it no matter what you chose, right? Whether you choose to use YNAB or not, I think the basis of this is about getting to your financial goals and dreams and making the journey really all about you. It's going to be something that only you can travel. So what are the tools that you need? And I love that YNAB and what Jesse has done, like he really breaks down in the interview, the four rules as a basis for wanting to get to your goals using a budget. And then the entrepreneurship journey, which you know by now, I'm just, I love hearing stories like that. I can relate to it so much. And it's people like that who are able to create something from nothing um, and have a vision to like follow through, like super inspiring. So I really hope you got a lot from that. Again, if you want to try out YNAB, go to youneedabudget.com slash journey to give it a try. Free 34-day trial, no credit card required.